0: on the screen are the words of of where we have have been so far in this journey through the Apostles' Creed. Belief in God. Belief in Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and we've said early on in this series that it's it's language of believing in two it's it's believing in in an intellectual sort of a way but it's believing in two in a way that <clears throat> my life is 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 being changed by what i say i believe and that is that is what the creed calls us to. These statements are, are a reminder of where we've been. And last week we, we ended with the, the return of Jesus to heaven, his, his ascension after conquering sin and death. He took his place of power at the right hand of God, and, and he is returning, and we are, we are awaiting his return as judge. And we wait... And we wait, and we wait. And events like what happened in Pittsburgh and around the world remind us of how desperately we, there is longing for a judge who will set things right. I've told some of you the story, I, I think, years ago when Sharice and I were in France. <clears throat> we, were, we were at this neat little cafe, had an outdoor dining area, so we had gone there for dinner, and, and there was a young man who waited on us. To say that he was a disaster would be an understatement. Oh my goodness. We uh, we ordered our food and we waited and we waited and we waited. There weren't that many of us at this little outdoor cafe. It was it was not a huge place. There was there was maybe oh six or, or eight couples kind of scattered around this little area. And <clears throat> and finally he he brought our food. But it wasn't our food. It was someone else's food. Unbeknownst to us, he had given someone else our food, and it had gone back to the kitchen, and this young man was just having all kinds of trouble connecting the dots. so finally, we got our food and <clears throat> and it was it was good. it was a little chilly by the time we got it and and then came time for dessert and that was just the final straw in this comedy of, of errors that had been going all night. <laughs> and so here's the point of the story. My wife, who you all know is, is just sweetness from top to bottom, looked at me and said, and there was no malice in her voice. This was very matter of fact. She just looked at me and said, he really is an idiot, isn't he? I, that's something that would come from me, but, but not from my wife. And I, I often think of that experience, gosh, I hope you don't think me terrible. I, I often think of that experience when I read the story of Jesus giving instructions to his disciples to wait in Jerusalem. He's he's going to ascend to the Father. And Luke tells us at the end of his gospel that Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem until you have been clothed with power from on high. They must have wondered, what in the world does that mean? But that's what Jesus said. And then in Acts, Luke, also the author of, of that record, he says, he has Jesus saying, wait for the gift that my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Now, there is, there is an urgency in Jesus' words. Stay, wait. And I'm sure that the disciples had been spending all kinds of time with Jesus following his resurrection, glad to have him back. And it's it's coming time for him to return to the Father. And he's he's told them that this would happen. And they're uncertain of what exactly that means for them, because you know there was growing unrest in the city among religious authorities and Increasing pressure upon the followers of Jesus, especially in Jerusalem. And Jesus wants them to do nothing but wait in Jerusalem. Are you kidding? I'd rather run from Jerusalem. And I can't help but wonder if Jesus was thinking something like, oh, I know these guys, you know, and and they don't always listen so well. And, and when they don't, they make a mess of things. He knew them better than they knew themselves. And the gospel records times of, of wonder as Jesus in his humanity interacted with humans. And <clears throat> we're not always the sharpest knives in the drawer. And the gospels record statements from Jesus. How long must I be with you? Oh, unbelieving generation. Have I been with you this long and you still don't understand? Are those times where, where Jesus is, is frustrated? I, I think it's fair to say, yeah, there's some frustration there. The difference between his frustration and mine is that my frustration is all about me. And his frustration was for the sake of them knowing and understanding God and, and particularly the revelation that he was bringing to them of, of the Father. That's what drove Jesus. There is no record of him calling anyone an idiot. That's probably comforting. But the language that he used was language of frustration at times. And in Matthew 23, that infamous woes to the Pharisees, uh, there's some, some pretty heavy-duty stuff there. So last Sunday, we talked about Jesus' His ascension, his position of authority at the right hand of of God. And and I suggested to you, I don't see any biblical reason to to think that we we shouldn't picture him as continuing to be the God-man, as he was on earth. So he is in heaven. And when I think of him interceding for his people, uh, and that's what Paul states in his letter to the Romans, that it is Jesus who intercedes for us. I, I am encouraged, and I, and I hope that maybe you have been encouraged in this week if you've thought of Jesus at the right hand of the Father ruling and interceding. And remember, it's a position of advising and power in the ancient world to think of Jesus there in his humanity, understanding the struggles that we face Understanding the pain that is a part of this world that is filled with with broken people. The writer of Hebrews, you know, speaks of Jesus as a high priest who understands every temptation that we face. He was tempted in every way that we are yet he was without sin. The writer of Hebrews also tells us that, that Jesus, the, the God-man in his humanity, he had to learn obedience through suffering. And these things happened because he was, he was human. And there's really no indication that, that that has changed. And so I can just imagine him interceding for his followers. Father, Father, they're just so human. And, and I get that. I, I understand what can be the, the, the longing of the human heart. I, I understand that they, in their humanness, are weak and, and fearful and lacking in trust. And, and Father, I told them to wait for the Spirit to live in His power just as I did when I was on earth. And Sometimes, Father, they do it really well. But often, they don't really understand how important it is to take matters into their own hands, and that's when things go downhill. So let's look at our next statement in the creed. I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's it. So we can go home. I believe in the Holy Spirit. So, you know, if you believe in the Holy Spirit, just walk on out of here, be blessed. End of the morning. Not so. You didn't believe that for a moment, did you? Oh. Have I mentioned to you along the way that the Creed is not intended to be a complete uh, treatise on, on Christian theology? But we know, too, that that the thinking of the Creed was, was developed before the Bible was the Bible. And so it's always wise, if we can, to consider what the early believers We've tried to do that with all of these statements. What would they have known? What would they have understood? What would have informed their understanding about um, the statements that the creed expresses? And then, of course, we, we have the beauty of of adding the complete revelation of Scripture to that. And so we know that the creed is very Jesus-centered. We've seen that. He gets the most press in the creed. He is He is front and center. There's There's no surprise there. For the early believers, Jesus was the revelation of God to his people like never before. Jesus, the God-man, revealed to them God as Father, invited them into relationship with Yahweh as Father, more personal and and intimate than they could imagine. And that's the life that he lived and modeled for them. He was the fulfillment of Old Testament plans and promises of God for the salvation of his people. Jesus revealed to them a side and purpose of God that they had not seen before or had not understood before. It's a story that starts at creation builds up to Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. It's all about Jesus. And then comes his ascension. Looked at it last week, quickly together. Returning to the Father. And it's there where we find those words from Matthew and Luke about going into the world to be his witnesses, being empowered from on high, making disciples, teaching them to obey what? Everything that Jesus had commanded and taught them. It's all about Jesus. You knew that, right? Yeah. Okay, good. Just, just checking. Uh, if, if you ever doubt that, the clue is in the name Christian, okay? The, the, the first half of that is Christ, okay? It is all about him. And, okay, now I say that obvious as it is, for this reason, in the same way that we best understand the revelation of God the Father through Jesus, He is the one who who is our interpretive lens for everything regarding our faith, in the same way, I think we best understand God the Holy Spirit through Jesus, His words His actions. And I I think this can be especially important in our theology of the Holy Spirit because it's no secret to any of us, if you've been around the church for a while, there's probably not a topic that causes more division than the Holy Spirit, than the the work of the Holy Spirit, the, the activity of the Holy Spirit. So our text this morning comes from John's Gospel, it's chapter 14. And this is, this is the teaching of Jesus about the coming and ministry of the Holy Spirit. So when we proclaim these words, I believe in the Holy Spirit, I think it's the teaching of Jesus that centers us on what it is we are believing about the Holy Spirit. And then, yes, we add the layers that we find in the other teachings of the, the epistles and the letters in the New Testament, but we start we start with what Jesus has to say about the Holy Spirit. That, I think, is priority. You good with that?: Okay. OK. So let's, um, let's stand. Here's what I'd like you to do.. <clears throat> Imagine, you can stand, you can stand and imagine at the same time. Imagine that you are with Jesus and you're one of his followers, his disciples, and you are hearing these words for the first time. Jesus is leaving. That is not a happy thought. Life is hard and it's gotten harder since you've become a follower of Jesus and now he's leaving you. Here's what he says. Read and listen to the statements that Jesus makes carefully about the Holy Spirit so that you can uh, talk with your neighbor about those. All right? Let's read together. Here we go. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet To come, He will glorify me because it is from me that He will receive what He will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, The Spirit will receive from me what He will make known to you. Wow. My sisters and brothers, this is the word of our Lord Jesus. Okay, be seated. Question is, Don, what grabs your attention in what Jesus just said there? You, his first followers. What grabs your attention? Talk to someone next to you. There's not a right or a wrong answer here, by the way. What grabs your attention? Can we go back to the last slide that had uh, scriptures at the bottom? There we go. If anybody wants we can leave that there for a minute. Anybody wants to check John 14, John 16, that's where these words are coming from. Okay, take one more minute. Okay. <clears throat> All right, you first century followers. What grabbed you about the things that, that Jesus said? Rather mind boggling, isn't it? Yeah. Good, good observation. What else? <laughs> Thank you for that clarification. First century people did not have emails. just in case you were wondering. What else? Do you really believe that? Okay, good, just checking. Good statement. What else? Anyone else? Ah. You know what? I don't disagree. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. We might be better off living in this era, this time of the Holy Spirit, than when Jesus was on earth. Yeah, I think for practical daily reasons, maybe so. Yes, 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 yeah. And, and, and as a parent who has, who has adopted, when you, you think about the, the trust and the relationship that you're striving to build, yeah, yeah, big piece of that, good, good observation. I think it's reference there to the Spirit's ministry in the world and, and in the hearts of people, you know, the one who convicts of sin and judgment, righteousness. Yeah, it's, it's great stuff. It, it, it's all about, again, it's all about Jesus. So... We're going to just go through a a few observations, three or four observations here from this text. None of this is probably anything that you don't know. We're starting with what Jesus says about the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit. So let me just go through and state the obvious because that's what I'm good at and maybe make some application for us where we may wrestle with some of these things. I think it's worth noting <clears throat> that for the early Jewish followers of Jesus, the Spirit of God was not a new idea. would not have been a foreign concept because the Old Testament mentions the Spirit in different places in connection with creation. We're told that the Spirit was hovering over the waters in Genesis 1. The Spirit was, was inspiration to the prophets. Isaiah announced those words that Jesus used in the synagogue. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. We often read of the Spirit equipping and strengthening God's people. Samson, as, as a young boy, we're told, was stirred by the Spirit of God. What would have been new to, these, to the first believers, to the first followers of Jesus, is the personal pronouns and names that Jesus used Describing the Spirit as a separate person. It's pretty incredible. When you, when you read through <clears throat> what he has said, listen again. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And that's not a reference to the second coming. I will come to you. <clears throat> but before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day. You will realize that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things because you forget so easily. He will teach, that wasn't in there by the way, He will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you you get it? He'll remind you of everything that I have said to you. When we can't be with someone or we can't be in an event, sometimes we will say, well, I can't come, but I'll be there in spirit. I often wonder what that means. Jesus has something really powerful in mind here. And, and once again, our brains are stretched or challenged with the mystery of the Trinity. When Jesus says he will come to them, he's not talking about, I'll be there in thought. You know, I'll be thinking of you. No, he's saying, I will be there through the presence of the Holy Spirit, there is an inseparable oneness of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And so, when Jesus talks about the comforter coming to them, they are separate persons in the Godhead, to use the old English word, which you've probably figured out by now, I really like that, Godhead. But they're one. And that's, that's what we proclaim as, as Trinitarians, 3 but 1 1 but 3. And so Jesus is is talking about his presence with them in the form of the spirit. I had a conversation with with someone recently where I I heard from them what I think is is a very common misspeak. I think I've I've referred to this before in in Christianity um, I, I don't want to label it heresy because I don't think there's any intent to go astray, but it's a reference to Jesus and God. Sometimes we hear people talk about Jesus and God. And in this person's mind, because I, I, I just pushed a little bit, they're, they're separate. Not separate as the Father and the Son Persons of God are separate, but separate as God and Jesus. In other words, there's God and then there's Jesus. And this person said, I believe that God sent Jesus to be the Savior. There's God and there's Jesus. To which I said, but if Jesus is the Savior and he's not God, then he doesn't save anybody. Because the church has affirmed for 2,000 years that only God can save. I got a hairy eyeball (laughs) and no further comment. And I wasn't trying to be a pain. It's just that it's easy for us sometimes to misspeak. And I, and I think that, that affirmation of, of the Trinity in the clearest language that we can give this mystery is incredibly honoring to God. I really believe that. And so we want to speak of our God as Father, as Son, as Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's a bit of a digression but but jesus described the Holy Spirit as a person not some whimsical ethereal notion but he used a personal pronoun it's a male pronoun now often in the Greek and the Hebrew the gender of the pronoun doesn't mean anything but Jesus used personal pronoun throughout the New Testament the Spirit has the attributes of personhood performs actions of persons has personal relationships the spirit has insight the spirit knows things which requires an intellect the spirit has a will he convicts of sin he performs miracles he guides he intercedes between persons he is to be obeyed he can be lied to you remember Ananias and Sapphira He can be resisted, he can be grieved, he can be blasphemed, he can even be insulted, according to the writer of Hebrews. He relates to the apostles and to each member of the Trinity. And so if this is true, and I believe that it is, and I think you do too, then here's what I think is is useful for us. We have permission to recognize and adore and worship the holy spirit as an equal member of the godhead because he is Does that make sense? There for a long time and I and I don't know if it if it if it still circulates around in Christendom but I can remember conversations in early ministry years where people would get concerned that there is no mandate in the Scripture to pray to the Holy Spirit. Well, there's no prohibition either. But the truth is, there's no mandate in the Scripture to pray to Jesus. But we do, all the time. We interchange, don't we? Our our prayers, I do, and I'm assuming that you probably do as well. You know, at one point we're addressing the Father, and at another point we're addressing the Son, Jesus. I think Jesus is giving us permission to address the Spirit in an attitude of worship, recognizing the personhood. That's such a bad word to describe members of the Godhead, but it's the best we can do. To describe the personhood so that it's, it's, it's trying to get at the idea of separateness but yet not separate in the way that, that Lee and I are separate. Separate in, in function and role, but, but an inseparable oneness in being. So it's, it's, it's permission. I like what Justo Gonzalez writes about this. He says, when we declare that we believe in the Holy Spirit... This believing is parallel to our believing in God, the Father, and in Jesus, the Son. The Spirit, he says, is worthy of praise and adoration just as much as the Father and the Son. The Spirit is not just a force or another way of referring to the power of God He is one of the persons of our triune God. Okay, let's make a second observation about the Spirit. From Jesus' words, He will will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me and will make known to you He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he makes known to you. As I said earlier, the Spirit is Jesus-focused. And that probably seems like an obvious statement, but, but it's important to be reminded because as human beings, in even our redeemed state, there is this tendency Toward self-focus. Yeah. I've said to you in the past that the sin of humanity from which we need to be saved is the sin of self-worship. We came out of the womb with a factory setting to love self more than anything else. And, 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 and we see it played out in our world That's why Jesus said that those who would follow him must do what? Remember the two requirements before you follow? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and then follow. Why is that so hard? Because it runs against everything that we are as human beings. We're all about self-love, self-help, self-care, self-preservation. And the spirit is in us to remind us and to redeem us through the atoning work of the Son. He came, Jesus came to save us from self-worship and to open the door back into the relationship with God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit for which we were created. And so it should come as, as no surprise to us that both Peter and Paul refer to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. Again, it's the it's focus upon Jesus. I feel like there's nothing that the enemy of God wants more than for us to make life about us, to go back to the way things were before redemption, and just you know say a few words and and profess faith in Jesus and then live life for yourself. No, that's not what the Spirit is in us to do. And and, and what can get thrown into the mix. Forgive me if this is offensive. What can get thrown into the mix is the role and the function of the Spirit in our lives. We can make the Spirit's presence about us. We can make the Spirit's presence about us. Let me give you just three quick examples of ways that I think we make Father, Son, and Spirit about us We do it unintentionally so. God created us for fellowship. That's not biblical. What's being said in there is, and I appreciate the intention. You guys are going to walk out of here and think I'm a real turkey. The intention is that God created us to have relationship with us. That is true. But I believe that the reason God created us to have relationship with us is so that he could display himself to us to be the awesome, wonderful, magnificent God that he is. So there's maybe kind of a fine line there, but I don't think that God created us for fellowship. God was never lonely. And we tend to think fellowship, companionship, relationship as filling a need of being alone. God has never been alone. We sometimes refer to Jesus and his death. We we say that even if you were the only person on earth that ever sinned, Jesus would have died for you. I'm not saying that's wrong, but I think that's silly. Because somehow... We're, we're, I know, I'm probably digging a hole here. But we, we, so, we so desperately need to elevate the importance of self that we'll even couch it sometimes unknowingly in those kinds of terms. The reality is, there's a whole world of lost and broken people. And God, we're told, loved the world so much that he sent his son, that he gave his son to be That atoning sacrifice. Yeah, it's fabulous that God loves me so much. But if I let myself go down that path too far and too long, I forget that he loves all of you just as much as he loves me. Which is hard for me to believe, but it's true because it's biblical. Okay? All right. So here's the thing that I think we can do in a similar way with the Holy Spirit. Is we think in terms of... The Spirit is power from God to live a better life. Oh, be careful with that one. What is the definition of better? What do you have in mind when you say that? What Jesus had in mind was the Spirit gives you power to be witnesses for Him, to make life about Him, to point to who Jesus is is and what he has done. And so the enemy can, can cause us to, to distort the role and the function of the spirit, making it about us. A classic example is spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. What are the gifts that are always the divide in the life of the church? Tongues, prophecy, and healing. Nobody ever fights over helps, serving, giving. Those are gifts too. But we don't fight over those because, can I be crass? They don't call attention to us. And I'm not saying that's where we are. I'm just saying there's an example of the way the enemy slips in and and causes us to be confused and self-focused about the work of God's Spirit. (sighs) There's a whole lot of nonsense that's gone on in the name of Jesus that has little to do with Jesus. The Spirit is always, always, always Jesus-focused. And if there are things that are coming out of our lives that are more focused upon myself and my concerns and my comfort and my reputation then we can be sure that we're not listening to the voice of the Spirit who has called us to be obedient to the words of Jesus, to die to self, take up cross, and follow Him. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Third observation. Um, The Spirit is called the advocate. It's an interesting word. Um, it's, It's... it's a Greek word, uh, the, the paraclete. You may remember some of the old church hymns used to, to, to sing about the paraclete. Uh, it's, it's, it means literally to be called to be by or called to stand to the side of. In, in, the, in the ancient legal world, a paraclete would be an advocate, a, a defender who would, who would stand and, and, and give good word, good report, uh, give evidence. Uh, to, to 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 benefit the one that they were standing for. In times of, of sorrow and sadness, Paraclete would also be one who, who would be mourning, who would be there to, to, to walk alongside with and, and share with and and comfort and be with those who are who are sad. I think that's such an amazing description for the role of the Holy Spirit. And of course newer translations refer to him as, as teacher and counselor. Those are are all good. Those are all good. They they give evidence to us of the role of the Holy Spirit in both the lives of His early followers and for us. The Spirit would teach them all that Jesus, would remind them of all that Jesus had taught them. We need to be reminded of all that, that Jesus taught them and it is for us as well. The Spirit would come as one who would would understand the sadness and remind them again and again that Jesus' victory over death was their promise for hope and for life. And if it didn't happen in this world, oh well. There are better days coming. And his role, brothers and sisters, his role has not changed He's still the advocate. He is still the one who I I, I love to to picture, you know, the the enemy speaking into our lives and the spirit's response to that is, don't believe that garbage. Just don't believe it because it's not true. Let me remind you of the truth. Let me remind you of, of who you are in Christ. Not who you are, but who you are in Christ. Let me remind you of of what God has done. Let me remind you of his promises. Let me remind you that I'm there in times when when you are sad to to encourage you with the love and the grace of God, to strengthen you in times when you are fearful as as witness, to strengthen you in times when you are are facing persecution and and tribulation for, for Jesus' sake. That's that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So, Phil and Allie, you need to come on up. And let me just close with this last one. I, I love this. Jesus said that it was good for him to go so that the Spirit would come. I can't for a minute think that the disciples agreed with that assessment. What could have been better in their minds? Can you imagine their, their joy and their celebration when, when they, they found that he had come back to life and, and they're spending time with him? And I'm sure it must have just made the, the old relationship even more meaningful and profound in their lives. And yet Jesus said, it's good that I'm going because then the advocate, the comforter, the teacher, the counselor can come and be with you. And like some of you have pointed out, to be with us, God's people, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, no matter what we face. Jesus in his humanity could not be with everyone all the time. But the spirit of Jesus Christ, that powerful person of the triune God, fills his people to live lives that will bring praise and glory to the one who has given himself for them. Can I hear an amen? Amen. amen. Let's live into the power of the Spirit of God every day of our lives. And, and I think, frankly, that starts with a conversation. We have permission from Jesus to talk with the Spirit who lives in us and stands by us and, and fills us with the power of God for the sake of Jesus. It starts with the conversation. Oh, Spirit of the living God, I am desperately dependent upon you again today.